Get ready, get comfy for the next nonprofit insider podcast episode. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Nonprofit Insider Podcast, episode 37. We're rocking and rolling. We just keep pumping out episodes. There's no stopping here. <laughs> last episode of the month of February, February 28th. Now, normally this would be the last day of the month, but we got February 29th uh, leap year this year. So shout out to, to, to all my dragons out there. It's the year of the wood dragon. That's me. I actually have my birthday coming up next week. My birthday's in the first week of March. So I don't know if I'm going to drop a, a special birthday episode, if I'm going to do a special uncut series episode, or maybe I just won't do any episode. One of the things I like to do here in New Mexico, we have this really great hot springs in the north central part of New Mexico called Ojo Caliente. And if you go on your actual birthday, it's free. So, you know, it saves you about 45 bucks, you know, gets you 45 bucks to get you in. But if you go on your actual birthday, they let you in for free. So I've done that the last, I think, three years. Shoot. It was super funny because back in 2020, I, I went for my birthday again, first week of March. And you, we were hearing all these rumors about this coronavirus. It was like, dang, like more and more people are getting sick in New York in Seattle and Miami, they just had shut down schools in all of Ohio for the rest of the year. So I'm in a hot tub surrounded with people in Ojo Caliente. And then a week later, the governor was like, we're shutting everything down. So I've been going there for, for quite some time. Uh, so we'll see what we do next with the next episode, the first week of March. Be sure to like, subscribe. You know the deal. I don't need to say that, but be sure to like and subscribe and rate the podcast. If you're listening to this right now, open up the phone, because you're probably listening to your phone or your iPad, go to Apple, go to Spotify, hit five stars, leave a review, that would be so amazing. We have a great episode for you today. We're going to try to get you in and out of here in like 30 minutes, 32 minutes or less. You know, that's always my desire. Um, I want to talk about the Ice Bucket Challenge. It is the 10-year anniversary of the Ice Bucket Challenge. It officially is 10 years in August, like August, July. But I'm going to beat the curve. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Ice Bucket Challenge 10 years later. We're going to go ahead and revisit that. I have a great nonprofit story, nonprofit horror story about talking shit on Zoom. And honestly, I'm surprised I have not heard more of this. So we're going to talk about that here in about 20 minutes, uh, a great a great horror story from back when we were all on Zoom and we're still on Zoom and we know how to do a lot of aspects of Zoom and Teams and videos. But in the early parts of it, there were a lot of videos that were coming out that were hilarious. And we have some that are from the nonprofit space that are worth talking about. And here in about two minutes, I'm going to talk a little bit about a previous episode. If you haven't had the chance, go back to the previous episode. I talked about what happens when donating at the cash register. Believe it or not, that episode has gone bananas. It's already the fourth. I think it's the fourth or the fifth. Maybe the fifth. I checked this morning. It's already the fifth most popular episode that I've ever created. And so a lot of people are talking about this. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in under like five, six, seven minutes or less here after the break. So we're going to go ahead and hop on that. Let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Let me see what else. Mm, just follow us on Instagram and TikTok. I mean, you know how to follow us there. Beyond that, 
Let's get to the episode. All right, we're back. And as I was saying right before the break here, in the previous episode, episode 36, as a part of our nonprofit insider uncut series, I usually try to top hit on just one topic. And in these episodes, you know, I'm hitting on the news, things that I see in the news. I have a little bit of a main segment. I'll do a book review. And for today, I'm not going to, I don't have a news article I'm going to talk about. But I'm going to do a little bit of a continuation from that previous episode because I have a lot of people that have hit me up in my uh, DMs. A lot of people message me saying, hey, that was a really good episode. And I, and I appreciate the insights you provided. And it's super funny because I was listening to a podcast and the timing, the, the timing is actually really perfect. I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to um, a sports podcast. It's called Three and Out with John Middlecoff. And it's a podcast. He just talks about sports, football, sometimes some golf and stuff, whatever the case may be. Uh, California guy. And he's talking, he has this, this segment called Fugazi Friday. And in the, in the episode, he talks about how when you are at the cash register and, you know, you, you're at the cash register and you're asked to uh, tip. And I'm like, this is so crazy because I'm just talking about how we all know this. Tipping fatigue is real. We are at a point now where you're asked to tip on everything. You go pick up a pizza at Pizza Hut. They're like, hey, you want to leave a $4 tip? You want to leave a $3 tip? And you're like, I drove my car here to pick it up. Then what's the service for? What's the tipping for? And there's there's a whole lot of conversations that could be had point blank about Fortune 500 companies or, or, or major corporations, period, that are not paying their workers properly. I was just in the new Whole Foods in... Um, I was in the Whole Foods in Albuquerque. A brand new one just opened up. I'm in the cash register, register number one, and it's right next to the general help area. And I overheard what might have been a manager or something like that behind me talking about how she did the interview with this girl. It was a really good interview, and she wanted $20 an hour. And she was like, I can't offer you that. Like, I, I can offer you $16. And she kind of said no. And then, and she saw, and, and again, this assistant manager is talking to another coworker. And the assistant manager is like, in the interview, she's like, um, well, you know, I can give you $16.50. And that was as high as I can go. And so a whole conversation can be had about these major organizations that are bringing in a lot of money, a lot of profit, and aren't sharing it properly with their workforce. So we can have a whole conversation about that. But tipping fatigue is real. And there is something to be said about being asked to tip all the time. So he's talking about on the podcast, he kind of lines it up about how when you're in the grocery store and you're asked to do a donation, or if you're at CVS and you're asked to do a donation, how it must be nice for CVS or Walgreens or these other organizations to ask us as customers for money because they get tax write-offs. And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on now. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. And look, and it's not even one of those things where it's like him as the host um, is trying to put out some false narratives or anything like that. It's just not properly known. And so I want to make sure it's really abundantly clear. When you are at the grocery store and you are asked to check out or you're at the checkout line, right? And the person behind the register, if it's not self-checkout, even though a lot of organizations are dumping a lot of that, I was at a Walmart not long ago, and I was like, shit, I kind of wish they had the self-checkout because these lines are fucking long, and Walmart never has anyone here. I'm like, you have like 20 lanes of, of, 
uh, of registers. How come there's only five people here? So I hate going to a Walmart. But anyway, if you are, I'm digressing. If you are at a, a, a point of sale, if you're at the checkout counter, and the store asks if you want to be able to donate charity, an extra dollar, round up to the nearest dollar, um, you know, donate any amount of money you want. The stores, if you elect to do that, the store cannot write off your point of sale donations because they don't count as company income. They don't count as company income. Now, if you donate, let's say 50 cents, you round up to the nearest dollar and you donate 50 cents, you can write that donation off because you are donating. The stores are not allowed to, to, to use that as a donation write-off because it's not a form of income. So it, it, you may be thinking, okay, so why are the stores doing this? It's very simple. A lot of stores, retail stores, grocery stores, um, drug stores, whatever the case may be, like to do that because it allows them the ability to say, hey, we've donated uh, all of this money to these organizations. Now, they may not have done it out of their own individual profits, but they're able to say, we donated money to the community, we're giving back, even if we are the ones funding you know, 25, 45, 50 plus percent of the money. Another advantage is stores have the ability to use that as a form of credit in terms of they can go out into the community and they say, hey, we're doing great things, we're connecting with local nonprofits, they're trying to build goodwill in the society as a whole. But when it comes specifically to the donation portion and the tax portion, the stores cannot use that as a tax write-off in any fashion. That is against the law. Now, a store may say, hey, 1% or 2% or 5%, I think Target's done this forever, of all the money we bring in uh, in terms of revenue or profit, I'm not sure exactly, we're going to donate that to charity. Now, that is something where if they take money out of their own profits and donate it, they can use that as a tax write-off but they can't use the money you give as a tax write-off because it's not a form of income. You with me? All right. It was just, again, perfect timing. I'm listening to this podcast, a guy that talks about sports. He's in a completely different world. He's talking about how these CVSs are using that and it must be nice. And I'm like, I actually sent him a, I even sent him a message. I sent him a DM in his uh, Instagram. I was like, hey, actually, just let you know, you know, not like saying you're an idiot or anything like that, but hey, that's not how it works. And I think now we are a little bit better off knowing that that's not how it works. All right, one of the things I want to be able to talk about, not, not in this episode, but in a future episode, is the aspect of nonprofits having celebrity endorsements. I, I talked a little bit about this maybe, I don't know, three, maybe three months ago about a, a nonprofit down in Florida that had hired T Pain and Doug E. Fresh, Doug E. Fresh, and a couple others to do a, a little bit of a performance. And it was a performance for the community as a whole. And so they, they set aside like 50% of the budget specifically for these entertainment entities. So that wasn't as much as a celebrity endorsement, but kind of in the same vein of using celebrities. And I was like, you know, I, I want to talk about that a little bit more as we get closer to summer. And one of the things that had me thinking as I was doing some research is that this is the 10-year anniversary of the Ice Bucket Challenge. Now, like I had mentioned in the very beginning of this episode, the the official 10-year mark is July. 
because the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge started in July of 2024. But, you know, 10 years, I wanted to kind of revisit that a little bit because in the space of the nonprofit world, there are a lot of different elements of change that can come with this industry. Sometimes you feel like you're in the back end of a lot of that change where you are what's the word I'm looking for, where you are reacting to what society as a whole is doing versus pushing the change, right, in the nonprofit space. Because you're asking for for money from donors and funders. Maybe you don't feel like you have the money to be as innovative uh, as you want. A lot of people look at things like Apple, Nokia, LG, uh, Tesla. They look at certain parts of the for-profit space as being the the industries or the ones that are changing society's landscape. But you don't really get a lot of that type of feeling in the nonprofit space. The Ice Bucket Challenge, from my point of view, for my money, is one of those entities that really changed the landscape of the way people talked about nonprofits. It, it, look, it, it culminated at a really good time. The rise of social media, the rise of Instagram, the utilization of people being able to make videos at home uh, so much easier. I remember growing up, we used to watch America's Funniest Home Videos and be like, dang, they set that camera up at the perfect time to get these videos. Now, people can set up videos all the time and things can be natural or unnatural, but we have the ability to record so much easier. So when the Ice Bucket Challenge came to be, it came at such a really, really good time. And look, I know for me, I did the challenge. I remember picking up a, a bucket of ice water. I had just moved to Albuquerque, funny enough, August 2024. I'm on a, I'm on like a, almost like a, like one of those like week long motels where people move into or construction workers live in for times. And it's off the side of I-25 and my ex-wife was like, hey, we should do the ice bucket challenge. I mean, we're literally living in like this hotel. It's a, not even run down, but like the bed is hard. You know, the space is not that big. And so we went outside and just in the grass on this highway on the side of the road, we did the ice bucket challenge. And, and I remember thinking like, you know, th- this is fun. This is fun. I was trying to get back into the nonprofit space after failing in a couple industries and a couple businesses and just wanting to pivot back into the nonprofit space after being in the for-profit world. And for me, I was like, you know, this is fun. At the time, I thought, you know, this caused very little harm. It's not like anyone's harm doing this. Um, it transcended. It, 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 and it had, a lot of, it had a lot of positive attributes to it. And so let me, let me back up here a little bit. The Ice Bucket Challenge is really credited by two individuals, Pat Quinn and Pete Freights. Now, I know when the Ice Bucket Challenge was going on, I had knew about Pete Freights and his uh, battle because he was the one, he actually had ALS, where Pat Quinn, I just want to make sure I have this exact here, where Pat Quinn, he did not, he was not, um, he was not a person that was affected by ALS. He was affected by, um, amethropic latric cirrhosis. A lot of people know it as Lou Gehrig's disease. So it's a motor neuron disease. So I say respectfully, like a lot of kind of, when you talk about being in the same realms of nerves, motor utilization, uh, things that deal with the body in that particular sphere, you can see probably why they were kind of connected. 
And so with Patrick Quinn, he was someone that helped raise a lot of money with Pete. And I had knew, like I said, I had knew of Pete's name so much more in raising money for Ella ALS. And one of the things that I think a lot of people may not really, really think about when you're in the nonprofit space and specifically in the health nonprofit space, there are a lot of competing factors. When you look at the top donations in 2022 and 2023, you're going to see a lot of the same type of industries getting money, education, arts, um, different aspects of research, but health is one of the major, major parts uh, of the donation sphere. A lot of rich people and everyday people are affected by things like cancer, breast cancer, um, heart disease, uh, different types of ailments, viruses, HIV, AIDS, uh, hepatitis C, those types of things. And a lot of money is sent to these types of organizations uh, to raise money. I mean, we talk about it all the time. St. Jude's gets a lot of money because they have a lot of children that are affected by health problems, right? With, with thinking of ALS, that is something prior to the Ice Bucket Challenge I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about. And a lot of people in the, the general space did not know a whole lot about ALS. And when you're competing for dollars, when you're competing for attention, there are a lot of ailments that you and I probably, that we don't know of right now. And those folks would, I was going to say die. That's not a good word. A lot of those folks would love, a lot of those folks would, would do a lot of things. Uh, you used to say, you, you know, a lot of folks would kill for that. I can't really say that anymore. Violent talk. We got to get rid of the violent talk. I, I, I agree with that. got to get rid of the violent talk. But a lot of people would jump over hurdles and go through hoops to try to get money in the way that the ALS community received money during the Ice Bucket Challenge. And look, as I mentioned earlier, for me, it was just, it was fun. I was 10 years younger, so I was like 25, something like that. My son wasn't even born. You know, it was fun. Um, It was nice seeing these videos. It was cool seeing um, celebrities do it. And one of the things for me is that, from my point of view, I believe it transcended a lot of aspects of fundraising participation that um, we oftentimes see in the world. With the Ice Bucket Challenge, it for the most part, right, it didn't matter if you were young or old. It didn't matter if you... It didn't matter if you, you, you were in a wheelchair, if you walked with a cane. It didn't matter if you pretty much never even left your house for whatever reason, whether you were going through depression or things like that. For a lot of people, the ALS Challenge was something that was something fun to get into. And even though a lot of people did not donate money during the ALS Challenge, they kind of did it, but maybe they never donated five or 10 bucks or 30 or you know, whatever the case may be. There were a lot of people that were able to raise awareness. And I think there's a lot of aspects where raising awareness for something, even if the purpose is, hey, do this bucket challenge, you got to donate 10 you got to do the bucket challenge in the next you know, 24 hours or uh, donate $10. Even if a lot of those folks didn't donate money, we're talking about it now. Right? It's one of the things for, for my money, the Ice Bucket Challenge and Pat Quinn and Pete Freights, in my opinion, they go in the nonprofit Hall of Fame. I think they're legends in the nonprofit space in this world. And look, maybe they were really one of the first ones to make it big in terms of social media awareness, but they did it. And we're talking about it. And when you talk about 
some nonprofit legends. A lot of times we think of the big donors that give a lot of money. From my understanding, the ALS Challenge, the Ice Bucket Challenge, raised about 500 to 600 million dollars across different ALS organizations. That's 600 dollars that was not there before. That's 600 dollars that was not there before. And when you think about some of the big nonprofit legends of modern time, right? You know, whether they donated money like Oprah or Elton John and their celebrities, or they had various foundations like Bob Hope or Shaquille O'Neal, or or you think of some of the, the, the ones that were doing a lot of advocating, uh, like Bob Barker, you know, on The Price is Right. Be sure to spade and neuter your pets. He did that at the end of every episode of The Price is Right. I remember that to this day, and I bet a lot of people in the animal industry are very grateful for that. Sarah McLaughlin, SPCA, right? A lot of people remember her videos uh, of raising money for animals. And actually, I didn't know Sarah McLaughlin was a, was a Canadian. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Um, and look, the, the, the Ice Bucket Challenge did not come without controversy, right? And and to, to a certain degree, I think a lot of those controversies are fair. A lot of people said that was really the start of armchair activism where you just stay at home and you hit the hashtag button and you hit the share button, but you don't really do shit. You don't really go out. You don't do the challenge. You don't you don't donate money. You don't volunteer your time. Uh, the spreading of knowledge is, for me, it's still activism. And if you're doing it in an armchair, is it as good as marching depending on the subject line? No, we, we all acknowledge that. But there's something to be had about connecting with people and putting it in people's mindsets. I know a lot of people said with the Ice Bucket Challenge, it was more about, after a while, it got to be more about celebrities and celebrities were doing it and they were using it to get attention. I've heard that a lot of people say it was just wasting water. People are not picking up, picking up bottles of water or buckets of water when like California is going through a drought or Texas is going through a drought. I know a lot of people saying it was co-opted where corporations were just getting behind it and all the things. Look, to, with, with all of that, some of that is definitely true. I'm not denying that. But I remember growing up in the 90s, they would have commercials. It would be Sarah McLaughlin. And then right after Sarah McLaughlin, it'd be another uh, nonprofit talking about, hey, for just a dollar a day, you can help these poor African kids in Somalia or Egypt or Ethiopia. And they would have images of these kids with flies on their face, walking around with no clothes on and huts and dirt, um, dirt communities and being like, oh, my gosh, those poor black and brown kids, we need to send them some money. It, for me, it was nothing like that. And I think when looking at the the history of the Ice Bucket Challenge, history is going to be on its side for the most part. We never talk about uh, the Susan G. Komen Foundation having pink drill bits when they were doing uh, fracking in Oklahoma or Texas because it was bullshit. And it was not, it was, even in the moment, it was not cool. With the Ice Bucket Challenge and even with some of the controversies that, that affected it, for me, it's a nonprofit legend. And it's one of those things I think will go down in history very, very well. And so celebrating it 10 years later, shit, I might need to do it again. All right, we're back in time for our favorite segment of any episode that we do. Time for our nonprofit horror story. And, you know, I've mentioned before that I don't have much of a relationship with the college I attended. I went to a college in Asheville, North Carolina. It was, it was actually technically Swannanoa, like 15 miles 
outside of the city, but they, they claimed Asheville. That, that's totally cool. I went to this college called Warren Wilson College, and, and the last day I was on my college campus was the day I graduated. <laughs> Literally got my degree, n- never returned, never went back. Um, homecoming, nope, never returned. Donating money back to them, that's an absolute hell no. Although you never know, things change, you know what I mean? Maybe even changes in administration, but you know, I, I'm bitter. Student loans, listen, listen to some previous episodes. We could talk about that. DM me if you have any, any questions about it. Hit me up on Instagram. Um, but I did meet a lot of great people while attending college. My best friend, met my ex-wife there, uh, met a really good couple of friends that I still talk to to this day. So you do make some really life-altering connections. And in comparison to like high school, college was definitely where it was at. So it was a better, good experience all, all in all. And I recently had a college mate reach out to me about the podcast because he's been listening. And so I was like, yeah, you know, this is great. I love it when I have some like people I know listen to the podcast. So we'll call him Malcolm. Uh, so, so I reached back out. I reached out to Malcolm because they are in the nonprofit space. I said, hey, I would love to get a nonprofit horror story from you. And sure enough, they delivered. And it's a story that I think is so relatable to so many of us in the nonprofit space. So look, I won't even drag this out anymore. For today's nonprofit horror story, we have Malcolm. Malcolm writes... Hey, Swim. Great connecting with you again after all these years. Uh, Appreciate you reaching out about being on your podcast. And yes, please share my story anonymously. I would love that. So here's my nonprofit horror story. This was back in late June, early July 2020. I was working with a nonprofit that operates in the greater D.C. area. I had been working with the organization for a little less than a year, but I had been living in D.C. at that point for about five years. By that point in time, it was pretty clear that the pandemic was going to be here to stay. Remember, we were all naively thinking that we would stay home for two or three weeks and then we would collectively, quote unquote, flatten the curve. (laughs) I was living in a condo with my wife and our three children, ages three, seven and nine at the time. Of course, they were not in school. And as the weather was really starting to get hot, the tension and the frustration in my household was thicker than a bowl of frozen oatmeal. So one day, I'm on a Zoom call at home. I tried to organize a lot of my calls during a time where at least some of my family was outside of the house. My wife would take the kids to the park or just take them on a walk around the neighborhood or they would just go get lunch, whatever the case may be. But on this particular day, everyone was at home. It was 10 o'clock in the morning and things were already starting off rough. Crying, screaming, pleas for help from the kids. Mind you, my wife is also trying to work. She's a lawyer, and after months of this, no one is happy. I'm in a basement trying to listen to this call with both my camera and my mic off. My wife comes downstairs saying she needs my help. I ask her, what about? She says it doesn't even matter, but that she needs my help upstairs with something. Swim. I love my wife, but we are both so fed up with everything at this point. We were looking at living in the country and a bigger house with more space because living in D.C. during a pandemic and a condo was absolutely terrible. Anyway, 
I go upstairs to help her wrangle the kids for about five or 10 minutes and decide that I would continue listening to the call on my phone using my AirPods. Eventually, I go back downstairs to contribute to the call when maybe like 10 minutes later, my wife comes downstairs again to the basement asking for help. At that time, the frustration is simply blowing over the top. I take my AirPods out of my ear and her and I start arguing. The kids are upstairs going absolutely insane and her and I are in the basement fighting. At one point, I said something like, I'm so fucking tired of this. You think I want to be on these fucking calls? All we do is meet on these calls and talk about absolutely nothing. I have to hear all of my coworkers talk about how much better it is being at home with no kids while I'm dealing with this nonsense. I legit said something like that to her. This goes on and on for probably like two, three minutes of her. And I'm going, we're going back and forth when at one point my phone starts ringing. I go to pick up the phone and I see I have three or four text messages in addition to my phone ringing at the time. They were all from one of my coworkers saying that they can hear everything we are saying on the call and they are having trouble muting me. I was absolutely mortified. But at the same time, I was also fed up. Fed up with life, fed up with my kids, fed up with my wife. At that point, I did not really care about much. Eventually, my organization started to shift a lot of aspects of the way we handled Zoom calls and meetings because everyone was getting frustrated in one way or another. Even the people that didn't have kids were feeling some type of way having been at home and away from family and friends for so many months on end. Honestly, I think many people in the call totally saw where I was coming from. The only real negative thing that happened after that was a deep feeling of embarrassment for weeks. I didn't get reprimanded or anything like that. And like I said, honestly, a lot of the other coworkers really understood where I was coming from. In the end, my kids are doing pretty well for the most part, and my wife and I did not get a COVID divorce, but there were moments where things were less than ideal. Keep up the good work with the podcast. Talk to you soon. See you later. Swim. Well, thank you, Malcolm, for sending in your story. Uh, a nice story that is 100% relatable. 100% relatable. In a lot of moments, you start to think, like, gosh, like this guy's kind of an asshole to his wife. But listen, I know a lot of listen, I know a lot of partners, wives, husbands that are like, yeah, during the pandemic, I absolutely hated looking at my husband. You thought he was a he was a bad snorer before, but now we're at home 24-7 and his snoring is absolutely killing me. I want to strangle him. I, I know a lot of people that um, for, for me, I was already separated. I was already away from my ex-wife by that point in time. So I was living alone and we would have my son. He'd be 50% of the time with me, 50% with his mom. Um, so COVID, all things considered, was not as terrible. And I didn't know both my parents were dead. I didn't know anyone that got sick or anything like that. So, you know, listen, um, don't, don't, uh, feel some type of way about me. All things considered, COVID was not crazy, but it's, it's wild how quickly we have, moved on from the absolute heights of COVID. I was looking a little bit earlier today. I was like, you know, what was the single highest death day? And from what I've gathered, and it's still, a lot of these numbers are still kind of being really sifted through, but back in February, 2021, 
there was a, a, a recording of 5,077 people dying in one day from COVID. So uh, COVID was not fun, and that is absolute worst. I know a lot of people were hating each other, and a lot of people that were hating each other were the ones that were living in the same household, you know? Maybe you just had a baby that was born. Maybe you were going to have a baby that was born during COVID. Um, it, it was some really, really tough times uh, during the COVID time. So, Malcolm, listen, 100% relatable. I know a lot of folks that are insiders that listen to this podcast will listen to this and kind of be like, dang, he was kind of mean to his wife. But I would love to honestly get a, um, I would love to get a nonprofit horror story from your wife. Now, she's not in the nonprofit space. But uh, hearing your wife's side of this would be very, very funny. Being in the nonprofit space, what was that like being nonprofit space adjacent? So hit me up. If you are listening to this and you want to submit a nonprofit horror story, feel free to hit us up at, um, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on TikTok. You can also email us, the nonprofit insider podcast at Gmail. I'll put that in the show notes. We would love to have your podcast. Um, Horror story submitted. Send me more of those. Let me see. Is there anything I missed? No, I think we're looking pretty good. Listen, let's go ahead and get out of here. March is around the corner. We have the last two days of February. We appreciate you all taking a chance, listening to the nonprofit horror stories, listening to the nonprofit insider podcast. We'll see you on the next episode.